This is the Employee to Entrepreneur podcast, the podcast for the family man who's looking to escape the rat race. So if you're a husband or a father and you are looking to kill your job, leave your nine to five so that you can provide a better life and have a better life with your family, then you're in the right place. I made this podcast for you because I am you. I am your host, Brendan Ryan, and today I'm joined by somebody I'm really excited about because he's perfect for this podcast. The Howie Tan is going to lay out a clinic for us and teach us what the best, most efficient path is to dadpreneurship. In other words, we're going to be answering the question, what is the best business to start if you're an aspiring dadpreneur. Hey, thanks for having me, Brendan. Yeah, it's a pleasure. I think I've been wanting to have you on the podcast for a while because I think you are the perfect guy for this podcast. So to kick it off, I want to point out, I found you on Twitter and your pinned tweet kind of gives a really brief overview of your journey from employee to entrepreneur. And it sounds like you actually started a business, burnt out and then rebuilt one. But um Hopefully I have that right, but can you walk us through that journey real briefly for us? Yeah, just um, starting a little bit before I had my first business, I was actually working at a high growth company, which uh, paid me $200,000 a year, in fact. Then I left it, scaled up a six-figure e-commerce store, and then I made that mistake of working 14 to 16 hours a day, which is pretty crazy. I, I thought it was normal because... Um, it's, it's really that high growth mentality that we think that, you know, we got put in all or nothing. Um, then I realized that mental health and is, is also a very big thing. You know, uh, went through depression, having thoughts of suicide, counts, um, had, a, had to talk to a lot of counselors, social workers, and psychologists uh, to, to walk out of that depression mode. Right. So I had a lot of physical products, uh, shipping partners and influencer relationships that caused me to have, uh, to have to talk to so many different parties and therefore, uh, all that, all that work just piled up and launched me into this negative spiral. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's, that's rough. So what, what was it? Was it mainly just the hours that kind of made you burn out like that? Yeah, so I mean, it's a, a number of factors because uh, after all, that was my first um, entrepreneurship journey. I have never started any of my own projects. I just felt like, okay, I wanted to do something. And then, uh, and then I just left my job. You know, I'm, I'm one of those crazy guys who just leaves and, uh, and decides to find a plan before I leave. A, uh, decides to find a plan uh, after I leave the job, which is... Not something that I would recommend most people to do right now. Uh, I would much more recommend people to, you know, do something on the side as a side hustle, then, then move out of job once it is, um, once it is stable in that sense. So the reason why, um, <clears throat> the reason why I, I went into depression was, uh, long hours and, and also just letting that anxiety pile up inside me, you know, um, all that. Whenever things don't go my way in the past, I always feel like, hey, you know, I should have known this because I came from a high growth company. Uh, that company, you know, I helped them to grow uh, 20 times from 100K a month to $2 million a month. 
had a lot of high expectations myself and I think and I thought that hey you know uh, it's so is it should be the same from an employee into an entrepreneur it should be so natural how wrong I was right you know there's there's so many things that uh, that come into entrepreneurship that we need to learn to manage and and one of the biggest things that I've learned is uh, is to be kind to yourself in fact and also be able to be be unshy to reach out for support when you need it because you all uh, as an entrepreneur you always uh, walk this journey alone and it's it's not uh, it's not often that people are able to understand what you do but um, it does not mean that people don't understand it just means that you need to reach out you need to talk about what you do more eventually you will be able to find your tribe right and and that i would say is is what i would do differently if i were uh no in fact that is what i'm doing differently right now in terms of entrepreneurship awesome yeah so what motivated you you would you say initially to leave the high paying job to start your e-commerce company right so <clears throat> number of factors because uh i was looking up I was looking up at my bosses and I felt like, hey, you know, um, there's really not much growth anymore in my job. At the same time, um, uh, the leadership was having a transition and I, uh, and a lot of things started to go a, a very different way. It led me to think like, hey, if I have a job, I will always be at the mercy of any transition, any changes that, that happens, it does not mean that it does not, uh, you know, this concept of having a secure job is no longer there because when the leadership changed, I was suddenly expected to, to come in, uh, to the office at 7 AM. And, and at a point of time, because I was talking to, I was liaising a lot with the U S I slept at 3 AM. So imagine you know, uh, sleeping at 3 a.m., having to come into the office at 7 a.m. Uh, and, and, and no, no reason given to, to allow for transitions, uh, stuff like that. So, um, I felt like in order for me to be secure in that sense, I need to, I need to create something of my own, right? Uh, it's always better to have more than one income source than to rely on just one company. Uh, for for all your income needs. Absolutely. I, I say all the time that having a job, everybody sees it as being the secure route, the safe route, if you will, but it's not as safe as everybody thinks it is. It's, and I really thought that people would realize that after the pandemic, when so many people lost their jobs, but it it's still the conventional wisdom that having the, the typical job working for somebody else is safer than entrepreneurship. But I think that idea will change eventually. I think that um, the future belongs to entrepreneurs, that people will wake up to that. I think that it's never been easier to start an online business and people will realize that relying on yourself is the best route for sure. But yeah, man, that that's those long hours, I'm sure definitely contributed to the depression. When you when you quit the job to start the e your own e-commerce company, did you did you already have kids? Were you married, or what was your family situation like? When I quit my job, <clears throat> in fact, my my son was about to be born, 
So when I when I launched my e-commerce store, he was he came out of his mom's tummy. That was like uh it, it was it was an incredible moment because I lo- I literally launched the store and then my wife told me I think you need to go to bed now. <laughs> because she started feeling the the contractions and stuff and I'm like, okay, is the kid coming? And then the next day we went on to the hospital. Uh, it was a very natural uh, birth. So so we, we knew all the signs and, and, and stuff like this. And I had, I remember just having my laptop sitting there and typing away and asking, just turning to my wife and say, are you all right? And she said, no, I'm okay. You know, I'm, I'm feeling the contractions coming uh, stronger and stronger, but I'm all right. And I'm just like typing away. Just let me know when, uh, when you're ready, when you're ready and, and, uh, we need we can go in uh to the to the delivery room right and then we i was talking to a doctor with my laptop in hand as well just just kind of like you know trying to handle the the thoughts of having a new kid and having a new store i it's almost like i had two babies at once so so it was really quite did. quite a memory <laughs> yeah you picked a hell of a time to launch into entrepreneurship. You, so you had two life-changing moments at the same time, basically. I I, I would say that um, it's a uh, it's a funny thing because, uh, like I said, I didn't really plan for entrepreneurship, but <clears throat> it just it just landed on me, and um, the 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 feeling just came that just came to me that. In order for me to get to my next stage of growth, I need to become an entrepreneur. I need to create something of my own. So, so yeah, um, our kid is supposed to come. Uh, in fact, he was one week early. So that's the reason why I decided to launch the store at that point of time, uh, not knowing that he could he could come at any any moment. So. Yeah, I mean, I think I think uh, God brings you surprises, uh, or the universe brings you surprises if you if you have it. So uh, it's been a blessing. Absolutely, it keeps things interesting. So, <laughs> was that the first business, the e-commerce business, and did you did you completely shut down that business to start a new one, or what happened there? So I. After I went into depression and <clears throat> I decided to to dismantle it because it was a very seasonal business, so it was hard for me to sell it in that sense. Um, and it and it got me into thinking: uh, How do I create a business that is simplified? Um, no, no need for physical inventory. No need for so many different uh, types of partnerships. Um, and no need for so much processes in that sense, and yet being able to support my lifestyle, right? I think this is a very big mental shift for me. And I was, I was um, looking around, and then I found the work of Naval Ravikant. I think a lot of people are familiar with it, and also um, Nasin Taleb. So, so the the thing is, uh, what I learned. Um, was to work with constraints. So if I have a goal uh, to go into entrepreneurship, I need to first list out what the constraints are. Like, for example, 
I want to I want to create a new business, and I let's say for example I have an, a full time job, right? I went I went back to a, a nine to five after my e commerce store uh, because I needed to I need to recalibrate and stuff like this. So I had then a nine to five, and I only had maybe about two or three hours a day to work on my business, right? As a side hustle. So with this constraint in mind, I asked myself, what is it? that I can do with these two hours. And then I, I went on to set out to look for projects that allow me to, to use these two hours the most efficiently and also uh, create the um, most amount of success that I can. And that's how I found Twitter, in fact. Uh, short form content, Twitter, because Twitter is all about, it's a writing platform, right? So it does not require you to do any, any form of post-production, et cetera, et cetera. So, <clears throat> so it's been a great platform for me to, to write short-form content and engage with people that I find interesting. And that's something that I, this, uh, when I discovered it, I realized that, oh, it's, a, uh, it's kind of life-changing. I think, I think Twitter is life-changing for many of us, right? It's a very big networking platform as compared to the, the other social media like for example, Facebook is very closed up, and then Instagram, you need to uh, you need to make sure that you dress up whatever you post because it's a very it's a very visual platform, so it takes a lot more work, and that's how I I ended up with my platform of choice and the business model of my choice as well to make sure that it's it's low uh, it's it does not rely on inventory, it does not rely on complicated processes, and that's how I. I changed my mindset. And then Nassim Taleb also uh, taught me that anything can happen. So you you never know what is it that will cause your failure, right? The When you find success, it's very easy for you to look back to say, oh, this action created a success for me. But if you fail, there are so many factors that, that, uh, that will that will lead to a failure. It could be because you mismanaged your cash. It could be because it just wasn't the, the fit for the market at this point in time. Or it could even be at that point in time, if you're running Facebook ads, for example, the algorithm just not ready for a product like yours. And that's, that's simple as that, right? You could have two people running the same products and one person could scale up to six, seven figures and another person can never scale up. And the difference is nothing to do with the product itself or the type of copy that, uh, copywriting that they use. It is just a matter of luck. So this idea of, uh, this idea of the role of luck, uh, I learned from Nassim Taylor, I think has been so useful and impactful. And then the, the idea of constraints, which I learned from Naval, I think it, that has helped me to define what I needed to do. And it's also a very big part of my work today. Yeah, those are two great minds, Naval Ravikant and Nassim Taleb. It, actually, Anti-Fragile is one of my favorite books. Um, so if anybody's listening to this podcast and not familiar with either one of those names, you need to check them out. Both of them are great, great minds, fantastic business minds as well. And I 100% agree with what you said, by the way, about Twitter. I think it's the most underrated platform by far. And it's the perfect place to start for most people, in my opinion, that want to start building a personal brand because all you have to do is write. All you have to do is type. Whereas 
the learning curve, if you will, for anything else, any other platform, really TikTok, YouTube, et cetera, there's all kinds of production value that goes into it in terms of the, the, the audio, the lighting, et cetera. And so it's much tougher, much tougher. And I don't think right now there's any community online that's giving away as much free value as Twitter. In fact, the the trendy thing to do right now is that that lead magnet giveaway, right? To retweet and comment, whatever, you know, give it to me. Um, and you get, you know, all kinds of free lead magnets all the time. And you could probably make a course yourself out of all the free lead magnets that are going out on Twitter right now. So it's a fantastic platform for sure. Um, absolutely agree. So when you shut down that company, the e-commerce company, and you, you went back to a nine to five for a little bit, what was the new company? Was it also e-commerce or was it something different? So it was, um, you, you, are you talking about the nine to five company or you're talking about my current uh, projects? I guess it'd be your current business, right? Yeah. So my current business is no longer a, an e-commerce um, company. So it's, um, it's a number of different things I would say. Uh, so first of all, I would say that it branches off from, it stems from my personal brand, right? Whatever I, I create stems from my, myself. And then branching out from there, I, I have a consulting, uh, business, right? Um, just started it about four months ago and just hit five figures, uh, earlier this week and, uh, coaching, right? So the difference between consulting and coaching is that, uh, consulting is a lot more business consulting related. And then coaching is more for people who are new to entrepreneurship and they want to start, uh, their journey in entrepreneurship. So it's a look, it's a lot more beginner friendly in that sense, right? The other parts of the business right now, I would say I'm building them out, right? Um, the, the biggest, project that I have right now is an information product and a, and a cohort that I'm building, right? It's called the micro business is actually to help people to, um, it's actually to help people to start their own simplified business. If, if you may, so it, these are all based on my lessons, uh, in the past, just kind of fucking my life, excuse that language, but, uh, you know, just, just kind of, um, <clears throat> messing up the whole, uh, way of doing this. But the thing is you only, you only, uh, truly find success when you made all kinds of mistakes. Right. So from that, I learned to just simplify whatever I do and then become more efficient. And therefore, when I, when I started, uh, doing this personal brand thing, I received a lot of, uh, messages from people like, Hey, what are you doing now? And, and I can see that you're, you're, you're posting so much, you are uh, doing so well. You know, I want to, I want to understand more. I want to learn more from you. Right. And that's, that's how I got into the idea of uh, creating something that helps people to start their own. Um, the title is still, is still up in the air though, but at this point of time, I'm just calling it the micro business. So, Oh, I thought you called it the, the freedompreneur. Yeah. So the freedompreneur is actually my, my newsletter. So that's another poten potential income source as well, because, um, newsletters for one, uh, you are able to monetize through sponsorships and uh, and also potentially paid advertisements uh, within that. And in fact, email list uh, is one of the email 
list building is one of the most underrated ways of monetization that a lot of people overlook. Um, I won't I won't delve too much into that, but I will say that uh, if you look at how I'm managing my stuff right now, it's a lot more diversified. It's not just uh, dependent on one type of business model alone. It's is dependent on different types of, um, whenever I have one income source that is working, I will set out to, to uh, look for other ways that I can build out more income sources that are synergistic in that sense. Um, but of course, it does not mean that I, I lose focus on, on the other stuff that I'm building. What <clears throat> the key to making this work, in fact, is to make sure that whatever you are doing is synergistic to what you, what you, like to do, which is, you know, the, the whole basis of Ikigai and uh, if people are familiar with it, right? <clears throat> um, so it stems from what you like to do, what you're passionate about, and then branching out from, uh, branching out into what the market wants. And once you understand or, uh, you know, it could be in the form of uh, messages, it could be in the form of talking to other people. Once you find something that the market wants and are willing to pay for it, you can go ahead to, to create something uh, out of it. I would say that, you know, people who want to start their own business, starting from the service-based aspect of business is so much better as compared to creating a product right out of the gate because it takes a longer time uh, to create. Then the longer term, when you start to create a product, the product becomes a more scalable form of your business in that sense. So the, so at first, uh, your, your service-based business will be the immediate income source for you, right? Then eventually the idea is, and I've talked to so many people like the Dan Cole and, um, <clears throat> and other, uh, bigger influencers, right? A lot of them, their, their product sales obliterates the service and consulting, uh, sales simply because product is able to just replicate itself. Once you created it, it just, you can just uh, resell it over and over and over and again. Um, and then if you make an update, it's mass update that everybody can see at once. So you can impact so many, so much more lives that way. And at the same time, you know, um, scale your business uh, much more without compromising on quality. Yeah, I I think that's spot on. The starting out in the service-based model, I think, is what a lot of people will do, but find pretty quickly that it's not super scalable because oftentimes your time is tied to the income, unless you can find a way to outsource literally every part of it, but which can be kind of hard to do if there's a certain level of expertise and then you're left with very little profit margin. But yeah, it's pivoting eventually into a product, I think if you're talking about an info product, then you can scale that to the moon, right? Like there's no constraints really. If you're talking about physical products, then you kind of have the whole inventory thing that you got to start dealing with. And that can be a little bit of a pain, but that's still more scalable than than a service-based business for sure. Absolutely. So that's the gold gold there for sure, man. I love it. what would you suggest? So you mentioned the idea of your idea of micro businesses. And I think that for any aspiring dadpreneurs, they're usually looking to start a side hustle that they can dedicate, you know, two hours a day at or whatever, and then grow it from there. What, what are some good businesses that you would recommend for aspiring dadpreneurs? 
Yeah, so uh, interestingly, I, I created a, a type of questionnaire, um, uh, a quiz for people who want to start their own business and trying to find a business model. Um, uh, in fact, <clears throat> you know, after reflecting on, on this, um, debt preneurs or anybody who wants to go from an uh, employee to an entrepreneur um, should go the route of thinking about what sort of service-based business they can provide. So it could be in the form of offering design uh, services, let's say web design services, right? Um, coding services, um, anything to do with consulting. Say, for example, if you're a software engineer, right, you can easily give a consulting call uh, for a few hundred dollars or even a thousand dollars for a company that want, that needs to fix uh, whatever technology issues they have, right? Um, basically, if you only have about, you know, two hours, one or two hours a day to work on something, it should be more of a done-with-you service rather than a done-for-you service. But of course, it does not mean that, uh, it does not mean that done-for-you is not uh, doable. It just means that you need to, you need to make sure that the type of uh, business that you take on uh, does not eat into the the amount of time that you have in the day. So just working with that, asking yourself, okay, I have only two hours a day, every single day, right? For maybe like five days a week or six days a week, depending on whether you work on Saturdays or not. If you if you decide on that, then then decide on uh, the type of businesses that you want to serve, right? So even if you're even if you're a designer and and you decide to to create something. Like for example, a designer can create a social media content pack, which does not take as much uh, design work as a full fledged like banner, which you know would take up a lot more loading time on a computer, uh, a lot more editing work on images, etc. So, <clears throat> so just think of how you can simplify the type of services that you can do. And you will be able to find a lot more ideas from there. Got it. Okay. I like it. I like it a lot. So if I'm tracking you correctly, I think a good place for a lot of aspiring dadpreneurs to start is with a with an guy trying to figure out what you're good at, what you're passionate about, um, what you like to do. And then starting with a service-based business and probably approaching it as a done with you model rather than a completely done for you model. Because if you're, you know, working a nine to five and you have a family, you probably have limited time. So you probably can't do a complete done for you model. Although that would be maybe a, a slightly more attractive offer a lot of times. Um, and then you kind of evolve from there into some type of um, preferably an info product is what, what you would recommend or you mean any product in general. Yeah, eventually they will have to <clears throat> uh, move on into an info product. Um, I'll get to that in a in a quick second. Um, to the point of uh, having done for you services. In in fact, you can just ask yourself what sort of services can you do uh, faster than anybody else. Like for example, I used to work as a designer back in my day when I first started my <clears throat> my career. Right, for me, it takes about four to five hours for me to complete a, a design work where a colleague of mine just takes one hour. So if you're somebody who can create things so much faster than other people, 
it might be a route for you, right? Or if you're a writer that is so proficient, you can chunk, uh, you can just chunk out 10 pieces of uh, articles in, in one sitting, right? That That is something that you can start with as well. So the whole idea here uh, with, with Ikigai is what, what do you like to do and what can you do most efficiently and then offering that into the market. And then to the point of creating an info product, yes, that is something that, um, in fact, I would say uh, I would say that I'm building this. So so this will be more of the prospect, perspective of somebody who is who is still on the journey uh, rather than, you know, I'm not a guru, I'm, I'm just your guide, right? So <clears throat> uh, in terms of, in terms of uh, info pr- information product, there are two ways to, uh, to think about it. It could be number one, a, a big product that you build out that it could, uh, you could charge like somewhere between 200 to $500 uh, for the product. And then you have to do things like video recording, uh, you know, maybe even some support calls to help people, et cetera, just to help them with uh, some handholding, et cetera. Right. So this might take a little bit more time. What I've discovered recently is that you could also create small little products, small little info products that could be in the form of um, a more detailed ebook. We're not talking about the giveaway type of ebooks here, right? We're talking about books that you create that maybe they may be about, say, um, to give some perspective, 50 pages long or 100 pages long. So it's not a full fledged. Um, it's not a full-fledged novel per se, right? But it's something that you can sell for maybe $10, $20 uh, at a go. So each time you tweet, right? Just, just imagine this. Each time you tweet, you have a tweet that goes viral. Uh, people are just jumping in and, and whatsoever. Plug that, tweet, uh, plug that information product below your tweet and then just let that take off, right? Imagine the amount of eyes that you can put over there. I actually got this idea from uh, watching Dickie Bush's uh uh, podcast. I think he was talking to. I think he was talking to Justin Welsh or, or or, or something. So, uh, he mentioned that when he started out, he was just he he his post on Reddit went viral, and then he started creating this uh, book. I think it was about uh how to build muscles as an ectomorph, right? As a hard gainer, so to, so to speak. Right. So this gave me an idea of hey, you know, uh, another platform that is able to go viral like that. In fact, right now is. Twitter. Twitter is still at a stage where you know things can things can just blow up. You can you can get like tens of thousands or even hundreds of thousands of impressions overnight, uh, just like that. And in fact, um, in fact, a lot of uh, a couple of my own uh, giveaway or tweets um, have you know gone to that extent. So it's not too difficult to achieve. In fact, uh, once you have some momentum, some practice, uh, you, you know, just plug in a product like this at the bottom of your tweet there, uh, your viral tweet. And, you know, uh, you, you'd be surprised at the number of people that would actually take up an impulse buy just like that. You know what? $10, $20, I don't think that's uh, a lot, but uh, just imagine the number of eyes that you have, you have got onto it, right? The, the amount of exposure, right? I don't think that such an opportunity exists elsewhere. It doesn't exist in Facebook. You can't run ads, you know, just just thinking that, oh, I'm I'm going to I'm going to break even on, on this. You're gonna take on so much risk by paying for ads. On Twitter, all this traffic is free. Right. So 
create a product that allows you to just uh, just plug, you know, a low cost product and then just plug it. If it doesn't work, just uh, reiterate, reassess what your audience like and then create a second one. Um, I think, you know, uh, uh, Daniel Vasalo talks about this, you know, just reiterating each time. Eventually, you will find something that hits and I, uh, and you will just take off from there as well. So that's how I think about information products. Yeah. There's another reason there why, why Twitter is so awesome because it's an open platform as in like you can reach people that don't follow you, you don't follow them, etc. And I think you hit on something there in the earlier part of what you were talking about, which I think is pure gold. I and mean, you, you mentioned what can I do asking yourself, what can I do faster than other people? Because if you look at the Ikigai, it, it asks you, what do you enjoy doing? What is your passion? What does the world need? And these are all great questions to ask, right? There, there's actually a saying along the lines of the, the quality of your life can be measured by the, the, the quality of questions that you ask yourself. But I think yeah. that that's a great question to ask yourself. What can I do faster than other people? And it, I, I think that should probably be obvious to most people. And that can get you at least started on a path somewhere of like, okay, maybe this is what I should do as my first side hustle business. You know, I love that. I think that that's a great, great tip there. I don't want anybody to miss that one. So Howie, what would you say most aspiring dadpreneurs get wrong when they're just starting out? So I think that most dadpreneurs neglect asking for support when they really need it, right? Uh, As men, I think we are raised in such a way that we think that you know, we need to, we need to be capable. We need to be independent. We need to be strong, right? That's not wrong, but don't forget that there are other people in your journey as well. Your family needs you, right? There are also people who care about you. For example, your friends, and there could be also other um, mentors or in industry peers who might just uh, be there looking out for people who, who they can, uh, just help out and reach out a helping hand uh, if they ask for it, right? So this idea of reaching out for help and creating your own social support system is so important. And that's something that also helped me to, to get out of my depression as well. Because remember this journey, uh, even though uh, sometimes we call it solopreneurship, sometimes we call it uh, a one-man business or one-woman uh, business, um, it's not always the case uh, if you if you think about it there are a lot of people around you who are able to provide that kind of social support and encouragement when you need it right so yes your business operations is a one person thing but your mentality your your uh i w- i want to say spirituality in a sense but but then you know uh, let's not get into that but i think most importantly is your mental, your mental health is an aspect that you need to take care of. And you'd be surprised once you start reaching out to people, uh, there are a lot more people who are just willing to care if you, if you just let them know. A lot of people just think, oh, uh, others are very busy. And, and they don't realize that some people are just uh, ready to help you if, if you reach out. Yeah, 
yeah, that makes a that makes a lot of sense. I, for me personally, at least, I've found entrepreneurship to be a journey of self discovery, which we've talked a little bit about, you know, with the ikigai and that kind of concept, but also most definitely a journey of self improvement. And and that wasn't super obvious to me when I first started it, to be honest, that, you know, that it it would push me and challenge me to grow into a better person and be the best version of myself. Um, But I think that that you're spot on with that is that because it is so challenging that it kind of forces you to to be your best self, to be able to, to succeed in entrepreneurship. And so yeah, I think that I, I hear you 100% on that. Go, I want to go back real quick to your, your timeline and especially your your newsletter, um, the Freedompreneur ne- newsletter. And by the way, I, I think you're spot on with that too, that newsletters, email lists, if you will, are very, very underrated still today, which blows my mind. Because if you think about it, any personal brand that you make on any platform is ultimately rented, meaning that if your account got banned or that that a that platform went down for whatever reason your your brand is gone so you really have to find a way to take that audience and own it in some way and really the pretty much the only way to do that online is to get their their personal contact information of some kind and mostly that that means emails you could also maybe get phone numbers but you know, most people are going for, for emails. The more information you can collect, the better though, of course. But anyway, um, I jumped into entrepreneurship shortly after having my first child. And so my, my timeline aligns a little bit with yours. I was about, my first child was about six months old, I guess, when I, I first started in entrepreneurship. And the reason I did it is because I realized that I wanted more freedom in my life to be able to spend time with my family and give them the life that I dreamed of giving them. And that I I realized that I was just never going to really get that in my job. And so that's why I started in entrepreneur, entrepreneurship, because I sought that freedom. And most people that I talk to, that is really one of the primary things that always comes up is they're always seeking freedom. So I love the name of your newsletter. And for that reason, I really personally believe that there should be more dadpreneurs, that there should be more men out there like seeking that to be to own their own time, to be able to take time off when they need it, to be able to set their own hours, schedule, etc. And not have a ceiling to their income, all these reasons, right? What are your thoughts on that? Do you think that there should be more aspiring dadpreneurs? A hundred percent, man. And in fact, uh, recently I just went to a family week event uh, over the weekend with my family. And <clears throat> there was this sign that that just said, my dad didn't raise me with instructions. He lived his life and I learned by watching him. And I felt that that was such an impactful moment for me because I want my child to look at me and say, hey, having a free life is possible. I don't have to be in the hamster wheel. I don't have to be in the rat race all the time. I don't have to take instructions all the time. It is possible for me to create a life of my own, right? Um, of course, it might sound very altruistic and uh, and, and and stuff uh, like this. But then again, if you don't start, if you don't create something, you never know what is it that you can do, 
right? Once you start offering that business, once you start offering that coaching call, once you start offering that consulting call, you realize that it's not as scary as you thought that it would be. A lot of us hold ourselves back, myself included, hold ourselves back because of imposter syndrome, thinking that there's you know, who would actually pay for my knowledge? Like, for example, when I first started consulting, I was thinking to myself, you know, who, who would just pay me X amount of dollars for, uh, to just talk to them on a weekly basis? It turns out there are people who are looking for just that, right? You may say that, oh, Howie, you have all the kinds of uh, experience that you had in your career and etc. But then again, I didn't start this way. I started, right? from the bottom up and the only thing I had was my determination to succeed. And that's something that is very powerful for people who, who want to offer value, right? You don't always have to be the smartest guy, but you can be somebody who, who is always there for your clients. Of course, right? Let's, let's not go into overworking. What I'm talking about being there is being present when you're there with your clients, listening out clearly for their needs and then just delivering exactly what they need. A lot of people overlook this and they feel like, oh, I need to scale. I need to close the next client. Whenever they're talking to their current client, they think of the next client. And I think that that doesn't help. Start from the point of helping one or two persons, uh, people, um, excuse me, start from helping one or two people well and then get the referral from there. You know, uh, you will find that this helps you to compound your sales and business so much more than trying to think of how should I close the next uh, consulting client? How should I close the next design client, etc., etc., like this, right? Um, think of it as instead of doing outbound marketing, it is all about inbound marketing. People come to you uh, as you create your, your stuff. In fact, a lot of people, uh, in fact, mo all my clients right now, they contacted me because I post on my social media. Um, and it wasn't really posts that went viral. It was the post that, in fact, got the least likes. But it, it actually um, shared the most value in that sense, right? Uh, to you, sometimes the... the Sometimes the post may not feel like it shares a lot of value, but to somebody else, it does. Back to the same point again. What is it that you, you do really well that others find difficult to do, right? And that's when, when you discover parts of this, you realize that, oh my God, I have so much that I can actually offer to the world that uh, I didn't even realize in the first place. And if you trap yourself in that 9 to 5, I think you will never really achieve that. So I feel like um, as a debt printer, if you want if or if you want to be a debt printer, you know, just think about it as it helps you to grow as a person. It also helps you to create that possibility of leading the life that you want. So why not you why not just choose a path that allows you to win both ways? Heck yeah, man. I'm right there with you. What you said there about essentially being a, a role model for your kids is, is really powerful. And I resonate very much with that. In fact, one of the first dadpreneurs that I had on the podcast some episodes back mentioned that his father was an aspiring 
entrepreneur that actually never really made it. He he kept trying and failed at all these different things and, and never really succeeded. But he still really admired that in his own father. And he, he saw what he was trying to do in terms of um, the life that he was trying to win for his family. And that's what motivated him to eventually become an entrepreneur. And he, he made it, he succeeded and he's doing really well. And so I love that. I think that that's really, really powerful. Another thing you mentioned about um, not necessarily thinking about like the next client, the next customer, but making sure that you really deliver for the few that you have so that you can get those first testimonials, those first case studies. Those go so far. It's really, if you can just get that first one, you know, then it really starts to, you start to get traction, I think. So lots of gold, man. You're, you're just uh, laying out a clinic for us. And I really appreciate it because. I really want there to be more dadpreneurs out there just like us. So um, with regards to business and family life, one of my last episode actually when I, that I had with Coach Shane, we talked a lot about kind of the the rules that he sets with his family, if you will. So a lot of dadpreneurs I've noticed have kind of a way that they go about um, working on their business and then spending intentional time with their family. For instance, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with Ryan Pineda, but he, I saw a reel the other day that he made that he said that he does, he sets aside X amount of hours to do the work that he wants to get done. And if he doesn't get that work done in that amount of time, it's like, oh, well, you, you know, he, he's got to figure out a way in the future to be more efficient at it, whether that mean like that means outsourcing it or delegating it, um, automating it, eliminating it, whatever it might be. Um, and that's forced him to become a lot more efficient in his business so that he can maintain a healthy, for lack of a better term, I don't like this term, but work-life balance. Um, do you have any anything, any rules like that that you kind of abide by? Yeah, 100%. In fact, when I started my Twitter writing journey, and I, I was very hesitant in writing my newsletter as well, because I felt like, oh, you know, it's going to make, it's going to take so much time, etc, etc. And, um, and also the idea of writing threads on Twitter, uh, just simply just medium to long form content has been a big obstacle for me. Then I, I found a way to, instead of Instead of taking it head on, I think of how I can water some uh reduce the reduce my requirement, so to speak. Let's say, for example, I'm writing a thread that that requires me to have uh to to give fifteen tip, tips, and I will only have say half an hour right now to to write that. Right? Instead of doing fifteen, I could do ten. I could do seven. I could even do five if I wanted to. But the whole idea is get something and get it out there, right? Once you get it out there, the data will come back to tell you what is it that the market really wants. And at the same time, your brain will also process it. I, I say it as if the brain is a separate part of us. It is. In fact, if you treat it as a, a tool that you own, you realize that your brain naturally finds ways to improve on what you have already done in that sense. So the minute that you iterate and create and put it out to the world, you create a momentum for your brain to, to process whatever you just done, improve on it, 
when the data comes back and then assess what went wrong so that you don't make the same mistakes in the future. All right, so this idea of creating things within the, the constraints of what you have, um, a bit similar to what Ryan is, but I would add that if you if you just kind of simplify it to, to suit the amount of time that you have, prioritize getting it done instead of getting it perfect first. Because what's going to happen is once you, once you put that five points out there, you will find that it takes, it takes even shorter time in the future. Let's say, for example, right now you take 30 minutes to come up with a, a five-point thread, right? You go ahead and do it four weeks or, or two weeks later, you're going you're gonna to build a momentum, you're going to build a mental momentum to create a thread in that same length in just 15 to 20 minutes. And that's just like how, you know, as we practice, we get better. Let's say you're, you're, practice ten, you're practicing uh, tennis and you don't, you've, the first time you swing, you don't get it right. The second time you swing, you don't get it right. And over and over after rounds of intentional practice, it just comes so naturally to you. It's the same thing for thread writing, for any form of work that you want to complete. Prioritize doing it, completing it, and then just putting it out in public because you never know what is it that when you have put out, what, what is it that you have put out may attract the attention of somebody who's just watching. And what's the worst case scenario that can happen? Nobody pays attention to it. That's it. Nobody's going to hate you for having just one like on your tweet. Nobody's going to do that. Nobody's going to judge you. I think that's the very another big obstacle that holds us back. We feel like people are judging you, right? So do it yeah. and just ship it. Yeah. I have like hundreds of tweets that have like one like. <laughs> <laughs> yes, when I, absolutely. Done when is I better than perfect. A hundred percent, man. When I when I look back at uh, my first tweets, I literally cringe. So, you know, just just having, uh, just knowing that anyone starts from somewhere gives you that 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 very clear frame of mind. Just go to some big creator and and use Twitter advanced search to search out their earlier tweets. I'm pretty sure you will find some really interesting things from there, right? Nobody starts from uh, a genius right away. Maybe there are, right? One or two out of a million. But most of us start from somewhere. And, and the biggest creators that you respect probably start from somewhere too. Yeah, that, that's an interesting exercise. It might be almost like a confidence hack to go back for, you know, look at like a Dan Co or something and search for his like his first tweets and just see what they look like, you know, how different they are, how many likes they got, all that kind of stuff. That'd be really interesting to see, actually. Um, so on this topic, actually, of, of you know, essentially a personal brand, we, we're talking a lot about, about, about Twitter, but what is your opinion on building a personal brand? Do you think that you should do it right from the start and just kind of build in public? Or do you, or do you think that you should wait until you're kind of an expert first on a particular subject and then build the personal brand? Or what do you think? I'm always an, I'm always an advocate of creating before you're ready. So when you're, when you're talking about uh, creating a personal brand, the advantage of putting your face out there 
is that you hold yourself accountable. If you say something, you promise to create something in one week's time, you better damn hell get that done because you you have uh you may feel like you don't want to disappoint the other people. Uh, you may also feel like, hey, you know, uh, because I I put it out there, I don't want to embarrass myself. Sorry. So so that is uh one way of looking at it. Uh, the other way of looking at it is when I first started uh creating my personal brand. Uh, I started jumping on Twitter spaces and I made a lot of uh, friends from there. We, we started some sort of uh, public accountability group as well. So uh, with that public accountability group, we just we just tell people in public, all right, if I don't complete my, my uh, targets this week, everybody gets 10 bucks from me, right? And this really forces you to like get, get your shit done, right? I, I think we, we probably had to censor some of the words that I use here. But then again, you, you, you really, you know, I'm just so passionate about this subject that I can't help myself, right? So, you know, just uh, making sure that you are accountable to and not giving yourself that excuse to give up. I think that's so important. If you really feel, you know, shy or you feel like, oh, I, I don't think the world will like my face whatsoever, and you really feel that way, Go ahead, create something that you're proud of. You know, create, um, go to mid-journey and create a, a, a fa- face, all right? Um, there are also a lot of other profiles, um, like, like the Notion profiles or, uh, I mean, the Notion creator profiles um, that actually uses, um, that actually uses images as profile image instead of their own, right? Um, I think even Art of Life, um, oh, sorry, Art of can't remember AOP his uh um uh his his nickname uh big account I think he's about hundred thousand followers um some of these accounts are really just you know uh illustration illustration of faces it's not really their real face right um just build something right uh the advantage of again the advantage of putting your face out there is that you've you really just put yourself in the frame of mind that I am accountable to public. If I if I screw somebody over, I will personally risk my reputation for it. And just imagine how powerful that is because this will force you to think of ways that you can add value to people that you otherwise wouldn't. If you if you just uh, if you just you know put an image out there. Right, it's so easy for you to just close that account the next day. But if you put your face out there, right, even if you close that account, there will be people who who might who might uh, recognize you from there. And that's that's that may be just what you need uh, to 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 do good work. Of course, I'm really exaggerating here, right? Uh, it's not as scary as that. But the point about it is, a personal brand is really something that that will allow you to experience so much more, right? Whether you're an introvert or an extrovert, right? I've seen so many and I've met so many uh, introverts that are, that have, you know, created their own own personal brand. And the, the amount of leverage that they create from growing their own personal brand is tremendous. Like, for example, right now, I, I go to a networking event and I tell them, hey, uh, I'm building on Twitter. And they're like, they get excited. They're like, what's your account? I want to follow you. I will just take, just take a look. I was just even talking to my, uh, mortgage agent, right? 
and he was asking me, what do you do? I say, uh, it's kind of, it's kind of hard to describe, but I build on Twitter and I was like, okay, what do you do? Um, what do you do on Twitter? I say, I teach people how to become free entrepreneurs. And it's like, wow, that's great. I want to, I want to know more. And he started asking me more questions about it. I was like, I was, I was quite surprised at the point of time, but, uh, I, I showed him my work and he said, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to follow you because I'm really interested in, in this idea of concept. So the thing is, once you, you, you also know that you, you have gotten somewhere good. If you meet people in the streets and they feel like, oh, I want to follow you because I resonate with what you just said. So, so, so many advantages on building your personal brand, putting your face out there. If you don't want no, no harm to it at all. Uh, but I would, I would highly encourage people to do it. Yeah. I'm of the same mindset for sure. It's great for accountability, like you said, and it's really great for growing your network too. Absolutely. hundred percent agree. So Hallie, where can people find you if they're interested in signing up, say for your newsletter or they're interested in your services? What's, where's the best place to find you? Yeah, hundred percent. So I'm most active on Twitter. So my handle is the Hawitan, T H E H O W I E T A N, and I write a weekly newsletter called the Freedom Printer. I send it out eight a.m. EST every week, right? And um, I'm actually uh, also uh, creating a cohort uh, to help people transition from employee to entrepreneurship. Um, fingers crossed that it it turns out well. Um, really really excited about it and uh yeah so twitter will be the best place if you drop me a dm you have any questions at all that you need help with nervous about getting into entrepreneurship uh but really want to build your own freedom drop me a dm uh i'm really happy to chat and if you have existing business that you are looking to skill as well and you find that you are spending so much time in the operations i do that for my one-on-one clients as well so um do drop me a DM or even just, or even just, uh, uh, you know, um, you can even reply to one of my tweets. And if I, you know, once I see that, I'll, I'll drop you a message as well. That cohort sounds perfect for anybody that is thinking about jumping into entrepreneurship if they're a full-time employee or dad, you know, aspiring dadpreneur. So if you're listening, definitely take him up on that. Get on Twitter if you're not already and shoot him a private message so you can get in that cohort because I bet that's going to be awesome. I can't wait to see all the people that you you get to be freedompreneurs uh, doing that, Howie. That's going to be really great. So guys, if you're listening to this on YouTube, please like and subscribe. Or if you're on Apple Podcasts, I'd really appreciate it if you left a review. And please, please hit Howie up and do that. Take the transition, make the leap from employee to entrepreneur. And we will see you on the other side.